0: Welcome to the Five Minute Bible Study Podcast. This ain't your grandma's podcast. It is a wonderful Tuesday, bright, sunny, feeling like spring for the first time in a while. We've been getting so much rain. I'm just glad to see the sun coming out like it did, I'm sure, the day the Ark landed on Mount Ararat. It's so beautiful. Hope you're having a great Tuesday as well. Uh, this Tuesday is brought to you as always by 5 minutebiblestudycom and the feature resource is a 5-Minute Bible series that you can find on the YouTube page and on the website under 5-Minute Bible Series called Read the Bible with Purpose or Reading the Bible with Purpose. This is a series I did a, I want to say maybe a year ago, maybe two years ago. They're short 5-7 to seven minute videos that give you direction in what you should be asking yourself and looking for as you read your Bible on the daily. So like, if you're going through a one-year Bible reading plan, this will give you some stuff to be looking for because oftentimes your mind gets distracted. You don't really feel like you're learning anything because you don't really have any direction. Well, that series is there to help you be asking the right questions and have some direction in your Bible reading to give it some purpose. It's all in the name. That's something. Go check it out. Start applying it today. This uh, lineup for this week's episode is going to be a little bit different. I'm not going to have a commercial, you know, one of those fake commercials that I do. By the way, those are fake commercials, if I haven't already said that. (laughs) So don't be going and trying to look up the websites that I give you. Those are fake addresses, as far as I'm aware of. Um, I'm going to substitute the commercial this week for a Teaching You Guys Southern Phraseology. I grew up in Georgia, but I lost my accent from living 10 years in Oklahoma. As you guys can tell, I don't have an accent anymore. Every once in a while, I will lengthen a vowel or get a little bit of a draw, uh, just kind of rubbing off on me over here in Tennessee. But anyways, I've noticed here lately, just the way that Tennesseans, especially, and Louisianans, they really draw out the vowels way (laughs) more than they're written. This week, I'm going to teach you guys, I'm going to start with the first phrase, how to say it with a southern draw. Um, The next segment, as usual, will be the main dish. Oh, Oh, I forgot. The Bible stories will be coming up right after this. I actually pre-recorded this one. I got a little carried away. There was a little girl at church who told me that I was the king of Bible stories on Sunday, and that just, uh, you know, melted my heart. So I had to make her a new Bible story night. I haven't made one of those in a while. So I recorded it on video. It'll be on the YouTube page tomorrow, Lord willing. But the audio I just ripped, and I've put it onto this episode so you can listen to it as well. That will make our Bible story night. So Bible story night, how to say your new Southern phrase. The main dish is going to be 10 exercises for the Christian mind, which is the name for this episode. This is drawn from a sermon I just recently gave called Renewing the Christian Mind, a study on Romans 12, 1 through 2. If you heard the sermon, um, this is going to take eight, uh, well, the eight exercises that I gave to you in that sermon, adding two more to them that I've thought of or been uh, recommended since then and then I'm going to give you some advice just in general about to add to these 10 exercises some advice on how to implement them that will take your feeding of the Spirit hopefully to the next level um, this will help your, your Bible study and your whole your spiritual life so hopefully it will be very helpful to you um, finally we'll finish off with some foot and mouth syndrome where I talk about what I said regarding a C-section that made a member of the church sick and almost pass out during church <laughs> this is a while back Uh, That's what's coming up here, so Bible Story Night next on the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast. And that donkey got up not too far away from that angel of the Lord. Send me a man to fight with me. Esau, let me tell you a story that prove to you that I can defeat that giant. And he said, no, I can't do that. You're my master's line. Welcome back to Bible Story Nights with 5-Minute Bible Study. This time we're talking about Naaman the leper. You can read this in 2 Kings chapter five. Let's get going. A long time ago during the nation of Israel, there was a man named Naaman. He was not an Israelite. He was a Gentile of the nation of Syria, one of the enemies of Israel. Anyways, this man Naaman was a very great commander in the army of Syria and and the king of Syria He regarded Naaman very highly. He was one of his best officers. But unfortunately, the Bible says he was a leper. And a leper was somebody that had a disease of the skin and it was basically a rotting away of the flesh. And it would spread over the whole body until it would consume them and then they would slowly die a miserable death. Well, Naaman had this disease. Well, Naaman had this disease for some time now And in the meantime, he couldn't lead the Syrian army, but they would go on raids by themselves. And one time, they brought back this captive girl, and uh, she became the maidservant of Naaman's wife. And one day, she was dusting the house or doing whatever kind of chores she was doing, and she lay down for a break, and she told her master, she said, Oh... My master, if only my master were with the prophet in Samaria, he would certainly heal him of his leprosy. And so Naaman heard this. Uh, did I hear something about healing of leprosy? He thought to himself. And so he went to the king of Syria, who trusted him greatly, and he said, uh, King of Syria, I have been told that there is a prophet in the far yon land of Israel who could heal me of my leprosy. And the king of Syria, he thought to himself, whoa, uh, if this is true, then let us send a letter. Let us send an envoy to, to request the services of this king. And so they wrote down a letter, and he scribbled it really hard, and he sent it to the king of Israel to find make contact with this prophet from the land of Samaria that it was told by this servant girl. And the letter read like this, Now be advised when this letter comes to you, talking to the king of Israel, that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And so Naaman took this to the king of Israel, and when he got there, he had servants, of course, take it to the king, because he had leprosy, and the king of Israel, he read this letter, and the king of Israel was shocked, and he said, Am I God, that he has sent a man to me, so that I might heal him of his leprosy? I tell you, he's trying to pick a He told this to his servants, and he was just beside himself. But word got to the servant, or rather to the prophet, Elisha. And Elisha got message of what was going on. And he sent word to the king of Israel, who was just beside himself. And he said, if you will send this man to me, then I will, by the power of God, heal him from his leprosy, as sure as this man says that there is a prophet in Israel. And then he will know that there is a God in Israel. And so, finally, the king of Israel stops wringing his hair, and he says, very well, and he sends Naaman on his way to, uh, to Elisha. And so, Elisha gets to the door, and he, has, he knocks on the door, and he's waiting for Elisha to come out of the house and meet him and wave a wand over his head and clear him of his leprosy. Well, anyways, Elisha doesn't even come to the door. He sends a servant instead to go answer Naaman and he relays a message from Elisha the prophet. He says, "Um, if you will go and you will wash seven times in the Jordan River just down the road, then as certain as the day is long, you will be cured of your leprosy and your skin will be as clean and white as a baby. Naaman, he was expecting Elisha to come and meet him at the door. And he became indignant. That means very angry. And he said, certainly I thought that this great prophet would meet me at the door and he would wave his arms around and he would cure me of this leprosy in some great way. But now he, sa- he thinks he's better than me and condescendingly sends me a servant. And tells me to dip in the Jordan River, the dirtiest of all the rivers. Certainly in, in Damascus, is there not a, a cleaner river than the, the Jordan? Like the Abana and the Farpar? And yet, oh, I'm so mad at this man. And Naaman cannot be so insulted by Elisha the prophet. And so he turns around and he leaps. But as they're going along, the servants of Naaman, obviously, they see that Naaman has an ego problem. And so they plead with their master because they really do want him to be cured of this leprosy. And they go to Naaman, they fall down, they say, Our master, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? And then how much more if he just asked you to go to this body of water and wash and be clean? My master, please, please listen to the prophet. Well... Then I suppose that Naaman started thinking rationally and he started realizing, listen, I've got a deteriorating disease that's going to kill me. And so I guess it's worth it. I mean, he did just ask me to wash seven times in a river. I guess what could, you know, come of it from, like, bad? I guess only good could come from it. So he turns his chariot around and they go to the Jordan River and he goes and he starts dipping. And he dips once. Kaplunk. No change. He dips twice, kaplunk. No change, and he dips third time, kaplunk, and a fourth time, kaplunk, and a fifth time, kaplunk, and a sixth time, kaplunk, and no change. And finally, on the seventh time, he goes down, and he's looking at his skin, and all the leprosy—it's all gone. And he was completely healed, just like Elisha had told him. It was a great day, and Naaman was so happy. And he asked, he sent a servant back to Elisha, and he told him, Please, take all these things. I've got ten talents of silver, I've got six thousand shekels of gold, and I've got ten changes of garments. But Elisha sent word by his messenger, and he said, Listen, I don't want any of that. Just simply worship the God of heaven. And from that day forward, Naaman said, Certainly I will not worship any other gods besides the God of Israel, for I know that there is only one God. Now, well, he goes on his way because Elisha would not take his changes of clothes and all the silver and gold and all that. But the story's not over quite yet because Elisha had a servant named Gehazi. And Gehazi thought to himself, ah, I can make a few bucks. Naaman brought all this stuff, and he is more than happy to give it away to Elisha's house, so I'm going to run ahead, and I'm going to tell Naaman that there are a couple of men who have come from out of town, and they need some money and some clothing, and uh, I just won't tell my master about it. So he goes on the way, and he catches up with Naaman, and he says, my uh, my master uh, Naaman, there has been some people that have come out of town, and they would need some money and clothing, and and since you were offering these things... uh, We don't need all of it, but if you would just lend us a a few talents of silver and a couple of changes of garments, that would be perfectly fine, sir. Uh, Please, if you don't mind. And Naaman is more than happy. He says, absolutely. Take two talents of silver and gives him two bags of silver. And he says, and take these changes of garments, too. I have plenty of clothing. And so he takes them all. And uh, uh, Gehazi has a couple of servants carry these ahead to his house. When he gets there, he takes the silver, the clothing, and he puts it in a secret closet in his house and tucks it away. Well, next day, Elisha's around Gehazi, and Elisha knew what he did because Elisha had the knowledge of the power of God. And he was uh, just having conversation with Gehazi, and he says, um, By the way, Gehazi, you know, uh, you know when you made a special trip yesterday and you, uh, you met Naaman? And Gehazi's like, what are you talking about? Um, Special trip? Me? Yeah. And Elisha's like, "Um, yeah, no joking with me, Gehazi. I know what you did. And because you lied and acted deceptively and did the opposite of what I asked for, which was not to take any money and clothing from Naaman, you are going to be a leper like Naaman was. And it will affect your whole family uh, for the rest of your descendants forever. And as soon as he said that, the skin of Gehazi started to turn white with leprosy and he became a leper like Naaman for the rest of his life. And that's the story of Naaman the Leper. Your southern phrase for the day is on, on. And if you're wondering what I'm saying and you're from the north or just the Midwest or anywhere besides the south. I am talking about the two-letter word O-N, commonly referred to or pronounced as on. I went on the roof. I got on the box. But in the South, they really lengthen vowels a lot, and it's on. Oh, and That's just the way it is. Don't ask me where the pronunciation comes from. Next time you're in the airport in Nashville or especially out in the more rural areas of Tennessee or Georgia or wherever, just listen for the vowel sounds. I got on that plane to go to Mississippi, and it took me all day. You really got to drag out those O and I and ah, A sounds, and you can speak like a redneck without much difficulty. But please don't artificially create an accent because people can tell that. It, it doesn't irritate me anything else more than I hear somebody making themselves Try to sound like they're talking southern. Like my imitation just a minute ago was strictly for education purposes only because I'm providing you all a great service. But otherwise, I don't try to overdo it and speak southern when I'm really, I don't have a southern accent. I mean, every once in a while, I will be able to, depending on whom I'm around, my upbringing will kind of bleed into the way I draw out some words. And even right now, maybe it's happening just a little bit. But I don't try to butter it on. I know people who do this, and it really drives me crazy. So don't try to fake it, because you just can't artificially reproduce this. Nobody will respect you. I won't respect you. Just don't do it. Well, let's get chewing on this main dish. We're talking about 10 exercises for the Christian mind. As I previewed in the opening part of this episode, this is drawn from a sermon I just recently gave about two weeks ago. From Romans chapter 12 verses 1 through 2 and I'm not gonna go give the whole sermon again You can go listen to that on your own time. It's on YouTube You can look up the Chapel Grove Church of Christ YouTube channel and it'll be on there or go to the Church of Christ uh, Chapel Grove Church of Christ website itself anyway uh, Just a brief synopsis trying to keep this within 60 seconds so we can set the stage for these exercises we're gonna go into that sermon was a study of Romans 12, 1-2, where Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and be renewed by the spirit of your mind. Um, that idea of being renewed by the spirit of your mind, is the, it's the main factor in how you transform yourself from a child of the flesh to a child of the Spirit of God. And it starts with a just a radical transformation of how you think. And how you think is fueled by what you consume, what you let your mind consume. A lot of Christians, and not just Christians, they, they consume a lot of content, intellectual, stimulating, or life-sucking content that sucks their brain cells away, a lot of times without even thinking about it. And so the mission here of that message and what I'm continuing to, to relate to you guys today is to, is to focus your mind purposefully on stimulating intellectually stimulating content, uh, intellectually stimulating fuel for your mind. Be purposeful about it. Think consciously about what you're feeding your brain that is just sucking its life away or simply corrupting it. Be conscious about ridding yourself of that fuel and replacing it with spiritual food, spiritual bread. Live by the bread of God, and here's how you do that. Here's ten exercises for your mind to take it from a spiritually depraved mind to a spiritually renewed mind. And uh, if you think about it, just first off, before we get going here... If you think about your mind as a muscle. Now, a brother talked to me after the fact. I had said this in that sermon. Your mind is a muscle. And I was using that as a metaphor. Your mind is like a muscle. And just like a muscle that if you if you break down the muscle fibers, they will grow back stronger. And if you break them down more and more repetitively, repetitively with a stronger and stronger weight, or I should say heavier weight, then they will begin to break down even more and more and grow back bigger and stronger your mind has to be exercised just like your bicep, just like your um, quads or, or any muscle in your body that the people go to the gym and they exercise. This makes total sense, and it is really brought forth and made more clear by a book that I would highly recommend to you guys to go pick up and read. You can find it on audiobook, and I found it on my local interlibrary loan audio book available on there. Download it and listen to it. It's called Love Your God With All Your Mind by J.P. Moreland. So I'm just making a plug here real quick for that book. Go get that book. I read it when I was in college. It's a great read that really makes you. It, It just focuses on mainly what Moreland's doing in that book is he's focusing on the importance of the intellect, the Christian mind, in the life of the Christian. And so many times I hear Christians say things that they downplay the Christian intellect and its role in the spiritual vitality of your life as a Christian. And we have to put more emphasis on that. And a lot of people say they don't like to read or they're just not into that or referring to anything that requires any type of intellectual rigor. And part of that is, part of it, now not always, but part of it is that people do have, some people do have legitimate learning disabilities, they have attention disorders, where they have harder times staying focused on something. Some people didn't finish high school. They didn't even finish middle school, maybe. And those people, you know, start where you're at. But what I am saying is that everybody, even if you're one of those people, everybody is at a place where they can exercise their intellect. They can exercise their mind to the glory of God, and they should be doing that. You may not be reading Homer's Iliad, (laughs) Uh, but you can start somewhere and uh, just take that for what it is. Now, let's get into the 10 things that you can do to exercise your mind. If it is a muscle, let's start breaking down those muscle fibers. Let's start not consuming the filth and just the pure vanity that we often consume on TV on radio, on our phones a lot of the time, and let's focus on what we can do to replace that stuff, actually replace it, and feed the Spirit. Feed the Spirit of our mind. Okay, the first thing is, and these are all practical. I came up with eight of them originally. I asked the people at church to give me some feedback if I'm leaving off something, hit me with it. And some people gave me some feedback. I got two extra. So a total of 10 exercises that you can do to work out the muscle of your mind. Here we go. Number one, and I'm a big advocate of this one all the time. So I'm going to start with it. Read the Bible. And I feel like I just overdo this one sometimes, but you really cannot overdo it. To exercise your mind, read the Bible. I remember when I was like seven years old, my dad would have me read a couple of verses With the family when we did our family bible reading we read the bible together as a family every night and at that time i could not read very well i mean i was learning to read i was literally learning to read by reading the bible with the family out loud and it would take i remember it would take five ten minutes for me to read two to three verses spelling out the words trying to pronunciate them out loud, and I'm sure that my siblings were just like, "Oh, I'll be done with it already," or "Why couldn't you have you just given him one verse instead of two verses, Dad?" Whatever. But that's legit how you learn to read. And think about it at home. If you're not a good reader, then sit down in the quiet of your home, if you can ever find that. Some of you have kids. Uh, your life is very, very busy. I understand that, but if you were to just take 15 minutes aside every morning, sit down in the quiet of your home, and read the Bible out loud, if you're not a good reader in general, that can improve. But you've got to exercise the muscle of you know, and and start breaking down those fibers and rebuilding. And you think about that. You do that every day for two years, and I promise you, you will be a better reader in two years than you are today. The reason that you're not a good reader is the fact that you haven't put in the time. Okay? That's a major factor. But reading the Bible in general, that is food for the Spirit. And that is a good replacement for the the feeding of the flesh that you have been doing, if that's the case. Uh, Read the Bible. You will learn. You will stimulate your intellect. And in this way, you can start glorifying God. This is just one piece of the puzzle. I'm not saying that reading your Bible in itself is going to transform your life all in one, but let me just say this, you cannot transform your life without the Bible. Now, that's true. That's the first thing. Number one, read your Bible. Number two, meditate on Scripture. Meditate on Scripture. Now, this is predicated on the fact that you're reading your Bible, or you're listening to it, or you are hearing teaching on it. If you're not, then there's nothing to meditate on. Like, you don't know the Scripture. That's a given, right? So after you've read the scripture, meditate on the scripture. And when you get to a point that you're just like going down the road, and I'll be honest, sometimes I have the greatest epiphanies at the weirdest point in times. Like the other day I was driving down the road to the gym at, I don't know, seven o'clock in the morning. And I was thinking about church discipline because I had been uh, on a podcast or I was preparing for a podcast uh, where I was being asked to give explanation on Matthew chapter 18. And, in verses 15 through 20, and I was thinking about church discipline at seven in the morning driving to the gym, and that's because I had been reading the text, and it was just something I was dwelling on. I was meditating on it constantly, where this was a really weird time to be thinking about that, and I had an epiphany at the time. I didn't have anything to write it down with because I was driving in the car, but if you are reading scripture or dwelling on scripture that you've read, you will have those epiphanies at the weirdest points in time, and that's when it triggers you, that, hey, I'm actually doing this. I'm actually meditating on Scripture. Ordinarily, if you are meditating on Scripture, you really don't think about it. You just, you're, you're doing it. But then when you actually have that epiphany, that's when it kind of triggers you. Like, aha, I'm actually getting something out of this. Oh, yeah, man, this is, let's keep on, let's keep on. So uh, th- that one is a big one. If, if you're not thinking about what you've read, then you really are not going to understand it, period. And you're not going to start to inculcate, as they say, the Word of God. Um, it's not going to start to retain the fibers of your being so that it starts to mold the way that you act and so forth. Meditation is a huge thing. You could, if you wanted to, just, you know, I've done it before where you just sit on the back porch and you think about Scripture while you look across the pasture back of my house. That's something you could do, but generally, just like when you're driving down the road, be thinking about it. Other things that we're talking about coming up will also help you meditate on Scripture. Number three, uh, after meditating on Scripture, is study the Bible. Now, I heard somebody say recently that if somebody tells you reading the Bible is not studying the Bible, then tell them, I don't know what they finished the sentence with, but they were like, they're wrong. And I mean, I can agree with that to an, ex- to an extent. Reading the Bible is studying the Bible. Um, you can't study the Bible without reading the Bible, okay? Okay. But what I mean, and I think the person that said that would agree with, is that studying the Bible is, after having read the text, you meditate on the text, and you start to organize your thoughts about the text. What it's actually saying, the context that it's written in, all those things. You start to organize it. Now, I am a person that learns by putting my thoughts down on paper, And I can't really organize my thoughts without writing them down. I mean, I have a a lot harder time. And I'm also afraid I'm going to forget them if I don't. So, uh, Actually, when I study the Bible, a lot of times I have a pen and paper in hand so that I can take those thoughts organized in my mind and translate them onto pen and paper. That's what you can do. Some people use a laptop. I use a laptop a lot of the times. Some people use uh, pictogramming where they draw charts and stuff and they draw arrows connecting stuff. It doesn't have to be words, but that is study, just in general. Even if it remains in your head only, when you organize your thoughts about what you've read and you draw conclusions, that's studying the Bible. You do this, uh, hopefully, at set periods of time. Uh, Again, if you don't have kids, maybe you can set aside 30 minutes where you organize your thoughts on this and you draw conclusions about what you've read. So Bible study is a huge one. I hope that definition helps you out a little bit to distinguish what we're talking about. And let's just move on to number four, which is memorizing scripture. When I was a kid, my dad had me memorize several uh, key salvation passages. I remember on my homeschool baseball team, we recited scripture every week. And if we didn't have the verse memorized, then we couldn't play that week. Uh, Our coach was a, um, I can't remember what denomination he went to, but but he was a professing professing Christian that made that a staple of our practices and our workouts. That was pretty cool, really. But when you're a kid, you know it's a lot easier to memorize things because you have a lot less going on in your brain, I feel like. When you're an adult, you get so busy that it does become more difficult, mainly from a time management side of things, and also because I believe that your brain has less storage space. But anyways, memorizing Scripture is very helpful. And this really goes hand-in-hand hand with meditating on Scripture. Because when you're memorizing Scripture, you will if you like me, you'll say the Scripture out loud over and over. And as you do that, you'll start to really dwell on certain phrases within that Scripture. And then those phrases from that Scripture will start to have new life to them that you never thought of before. And the only key thing going on is that you're spending more time thinking about it. But memorizing Scripture will be helpful because you'll be able to recall it in general, in times that you need it, whatever the case may be. If somebody's you know telling you something that you know, oh man, I know that's not right, but I just can't remember the Scripture. Well, the more Scripture you have memorized, the more you'll be able to remember that and have a ready answer. There's that. In temptation, that Scripture will hopefully pop up in your head immediately. In general, it will just feed your spirit from dwelling on the Scripture more. Those are all benefits of memorizing Scripture. And if you are interested in this, there were a few Christians who reached out to me when I made the offer on 5-Minute Bible Study last year that I had 57 Bible verses that were good memorization Bible verses. These are all from the New Testament. There are obviously many passages in the Old Testament that are Uh, all scriptures inspire, so of course they're all worth memorizing, but there are other good key passages in the Old Testament, but this is just simply New Testament memorization verses. 57 of them, uh, including Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, a little bit of everything for you to consume there. If you would like that list, just let me know, and I can email that to you. Somebody just emailed me last week about that, and I sent it to them. So there's that. If you don't know where to start, otherwise, just start anywhere. That's fine. The fifth thing that you can do is journal about what you've read. I'm not talking about studying the Bible. I'm talking about literally just like taking your raw thoughts and translating them to paper. Now, I use an app called Penzu, P-E-N-Z-U, I'm sorry, P-E-N-Z-U.com, and it's an online journal. And on there, I just... What do they call that? It's it's called word vomit when you just start saying whatever comes to your mind. And that's what I do. I just write down everything that comes to my mind. And it helps free my mind, free my brain space up. At least makes me feel that way. Because there's a lot of stuff that's weighing heavy on me. And I, and I feel like, and it's true, when you get it on paper and one of the factors being that you're not afraid of forgetting it now it's on paper. Then you don't dwell on it as much anymore. Cause one of the reasons that you dwelt on it was you were worried about forgetting it, right? Well, just do that. You just word vomit on paper or on virtual paper. And it helps you after you have done that to look at what you've read. And then you can go about organizing what you've read, or you can start taking that and organizing your mind. Start the Bible study side, right? Of feeding the spirit. But, Just journaling helps you to reduce stress. It helps you to put things down so you don't forget. It will lead to Bible study, positive Bible study takes and conclusions. There is great benefit in journaling all the way around. I've learned also, especially in the mental health world, uh, journaling is a is a highly recommended exercise by psychologists and counselors for people going through mental health issues in general. So it will help with your mental health just as a general practice, but it will also help with your spiritual health. As, you are, as you're doing this, you're thinking about spiritual things, right? Because you're journaling about what you've read or the things that you're thinking about in regard to what you've read or been taught according to Scripture. So five things so far. Read the Bible, meditate on Scripture, study the Bible, memorize Scripture, journal about what you've read, or been thinking about. And number six, have conversation with other Christians. And when I say this, I don't mean just have conversation to talk to people. I'm talking about conversation that's centered on spiritual things, spiritual subjects. A lot of times I've you know, noticed people at church, you talk to people at church after church, and how many times have you talked with somebody at church after the service is over, and what you talked about had any spiritual depth to it? And oftentimes it doesn't. A lot of times it's about the football game from yesterday or it's about the weather. It's about everything but God, the church, the sermon that was just said, the songs that were sung or anything, what you read this week. Because sometimes people didn't read anything, so they have nothing to talk about. They, ha- they didn't meditate on any scripture. They have nothing to talk about. And the things that you talk about are the things that really interest you, the things that you've been thinking about. So really, what people talk about is a true indication of where their mind is Now, that's not always true, because some people are timid about talking about Scripture, not necessarily because they haven't been reading it or thinking about it, because they're afraid that they don't know enough, and the other person and what they might know or what they perceive the other person knows keeps them from talking about Scripture for being embarrassed or whatever. That is true. That is one side of things, why people don't talk about spiritual things as much. But you just got to talk about it and understand that most people— are um, where you're at probably in terms of f- you know fears and, and they don't feel like they know their Bible as much as they should. And people that do know their Bible well ought to be able to communicate in a way that doesn't make them feel dumb. And I hope that I never do that. And if I have ever talked to you and made you feel dumb about, you know, you didn't know as much scripture as you should and that's what you felt, please, I'm, this is a golden opportunity to reach out to me and tell me that exact thing. And I, I sincerely want you to tell me that. Um, if you have ever gotten that impression from me. You will be doing me a great favor by bringing that to my attention. Uh, sometimes you come across ways and you don't even realize you know, how you're coming across. You're not intending it to be that way, but that's just how people perceive it and maybe the way you set so just If that's ever the way that I've come across, please correct me after you've listened to this episode, call me, text me, whatever. But if we will communicate about spiritual things in general, but we'll also do it with the goal of learning, edifying one another, um, simply because it's the Word of God and it deserves our time and attention, then that is going to be a plus-plus boon for our spiritual growth and exercising of our mind. So number six is conversation. Number seven is teaching in general. And when I say teaching, I chiefly am referring to the teaching of the church. And this is a huge reason, I do believe, why God made teaching part of the worship of the church. It says in Acts chapter 2, I believe it's verse is it verse 42 that they continued in the Apostles' doctrine, uh, the Apostles' teaching, and the teaching of the church, which is further elaborated on in 1 Corinthians 14, is a central focus of the worship of the assembly whenever the church comes together to worship. The reason why is because God knows that you need your spirit fed. And He also knows, I'm sure, He knew that people are not feeding their spirit throughout the week like they should be. And hopefully the feeding of the spirit that you get at the assembly of the church will ignite you and encourage you to go and exercise your mind more when you're not with the assembly. So that's especially what I mean when I'm talking about teaching, but I'm also talking about listening to podcasts like this one, listening to sermon recordings, listening to and reading books about the Bible or about spiritual things. Those are all ways to consume teaching, which, Feed your spirit and starve your flesh. All those different ways will exercise your mind by making your intellect work. Number eight is fasting. Fasting by itself, just the very act of it, is not going to feed your spirit. It will starve your flesh, but as a result of it, your mind is going to be thinking about why are you fasting and hopefully the reason that you're fasting is because you need spiritual renewal. So you're thinking about those things, and that leads to meditating on spiritual things, meditating on Scripture, um, so on and so forth. You get the idea. Fasting, I'm going to reiterate what I did say in my sermon on renewing the mind, what Brother Ed Daniel said in his sermon on fasting recently. I love this. It's so It helps me so much to understand the spiritual benefits of fasting. He said... When you fast, it helps you in your mind to distinguish those parts of yourself that are flesh and those parts of yourself that are spirit. And when you do that, then you are able to starve those parts that are flesh and feed those parts that are spirit. You Become painfully aware of what you have been feeding yourself. There is a direct correlation with the fleshly food that you consume and the fleshly appetites uh, that are harming you that lead to sin and are dragging you down so fasting is a great spiritual exercise one that i personally need to do more myself Um, but every time that i have done it it has been spiritually rewarding and it has helped me to focus more on prayer and drawing closer to god Uh, this is a very important item that i have left off list in the past and i just shouldn't have and i'm not going to anymore number nine is praying Praying, this is in no order of priority here, but praying is the Christian's ABCs. Uh, This is the A in the ABCs. You start with prayer, you end with prayer. If you're not praying, then you're not living. If you're not praying, then you're probably not actually fighting your temptations. You can say that you're struggling with sin, but if you're struggling with sin, quote-unquote, and you're not praying, well, then you're really not struggling with it. Because calling on God as your source of strength— is a must. To have the most powerful being in all the universe to answer your prayer or to listen to your cries, that is just, I can't even explain it. So prayer is so important. There is, my Brother Bobby Cunningham last year gave one of the best sermons I've heard on prayer. Besides him, uh, Todd Bernard, I remember at the Labor Day meeting in 2019, I want to say at Tennessee, gave just an amazing sermon on prayer. I remember another one by Marcus Reppert. I'm just listing these so that if you wanted to go on YouTube and look these guys up, you could look those up and, and listen to these and, and understand why prayer is so important to your life. When you think about Jesus praying in the garden and you really dwell on what he was doing and the intensity of his prayer and the grit that he had, it was, it is just truly transformative to your thinking, of at least my thinking, of how important prayer is. It is a staple to the Christian uh, exercise of the mind. Number 10, and last of all, is singing. Now, not everybody likes singing. So all of these 10 exercises, you may not be doing all of them, and you may not personally uh, benefit from doing all of them, especially at the same time. I know you would personally benefit, but you think that you won't. Maybe singing doesn't cut your list and because you just aren't too the music. You have a terrible voice, you think. I personally have a mediocre voice. That's an accurate description of what I have a mediocre voice. I wouldn't say I have a good voice. I certainly wouldn't say I have a great voice. I have a mediocre voice, but I do like to sing. And uh, what I'll do is I have created a Spotify channel or a Spotify playlist where I have praise and harmony, uh, which is a acapella group, congregational singing on there. And I'll sing with it on Sunday mornings, especially Um, there's on SoundCloud, Andrew Martin and Hayden Sears, Both have acapella playlists that um, are are just phenomenal. They both do a fantastic job. They have some great content on there. I really love those, and I'll sing along with those. And when you're doing that, if you're doing what you should be doing, which I'll be honest, sometimes I sing without thinking about what I'm saying, but those words are teaching you and are feeding you. They're feeding your spirit. So all those 10 things are the 10 exercises that you can um, start practicing today and start feeding your spirit with. Now, with all that said, I just want to give you guys a few tips in reference to feeding your spirit in general. A few things that I have found helpful in my f- spiritual transformation and my spiritual growth f- over the years are number one, and this is pretty recent: deleting social media apps from your phone. I just did this like a week and a half ago, and I have had no regrets, and I have had tremendous benefits from it. I used to have the Facebook app on my phone, the Instagram app. A long about a, Over a year ago, I had a TikTok app when I was doing TikTok videos for the website. Um, that and the YouTube app. And I deleted those from my phone because of what I found, there was a Simon Sinek video on YouTube. <laughs> Ironically, I was watching it on YouTube. And he was saying, you've got a problem if the first thing that you do when you wake up is you reach for your phone and you look at your phone and you start scrolling. And I was like, whoa. He just hit me in the gut because I found out that I was... Alarm was going off. I was reaching for my phone, turn off the alarm, but immediately I saw notifications on my phone. Like, well, I got to figure out who texted me. What did they tell me? And, you know, 90% of the time, it's nothing important. It's totally could have waited. But what happens then is that you start scrolling on your phone for 5, 10, 15 minutes before you do anything else in the day. And a lot of times, the things that you see with the first opening of your eyes are garbage, or at least they're just not spiritually edifying. Since I deleted those from my phone, I do turn off my alarm on my phone. That's all I do with it. And then I go about my daily routine, which I'll get into next. One of the things that is beneficial um, that I got from Moreland's book... now. I don't know that I practice this, but I can totally see that if I were to ever have a family, I would need to start practicing this. So if you do have a family, I think this is a great piece of advice to apply to making the most of your time. He says to use the time that you are most tired to physically exercise. Physical exercise is something that Americans commonly neglect. And I, had, I have neglected in large portions of my life. Right now, I'm trying to make it a priority, and I've been doing good for over a year. But it, it literally gives you new energy. It does help you wake up. It does help you concentrate. Um, these are all actual physical benefits of exercise. It will make you um, just a livelier person overall, you will start to feel better about yourself. Your self-esteem will start to go up just from the fact that you are a person that exercises. Even if what you don't like in the mirror, you are a person that exercises. And that will make you feel better about yourself. And ultimately, you will start seeing results. All that being said, doing it at a time when you are most tired in the day. Because what happens when you're most tired in the day, you typically resort to either sleeping, a cat nap, or just mindlessly scrolling on your phone or watching TV or a movie, right? And so he says, maybe the most tired point of your day is right after dinner. And so instead of going and watching dinner or going and watching TV, then go out and walk your dog right then if you have a dog or walk with your husband or wife or kids or whatever, and use that time in the day when you are most tired to exercise, you will start to stimulate hormone production. You will start to become more alive and that, that, that will allow you to be more efficient and useful of your time once you get back from exercising. You think that you don't have time to exercise, but really you don't have time not to exercise. <laughs> a lot of times I'll say about things that I've bought, I, I couldn't afford not to buy it. Well, you can't afford not to exercise. I thought that was a good piece of advice. Along with that, here's something of just my own routine that I think it helps me Use the early morning hours to read the Bible and to pray. The first thing that I do in the morning is I get up, turn my alarm off, go uh, to my office, and I start reading my Bible, and I say a prayer after I'm done. And somewhere in there I'll have a cup of coffee, and then I'll go to the gym. I try to do all of that in the early hours of the morning before the sun gets all the way up. Not everybody's a morning person, um, I don't think that you have to be a morning person. So whatever time of the day that you wake up, using those early morning hours, that's when you're most awake. And it go, this goes with the last point. Use the hours that you're most awake to do your most intense intellectual exercising and use the times that you're least awake, like I guess more down in the middle of the day, to physically exercise and rejuvenate your body. I think that's great advice. It helps me and I've... it's always a great start to the day to know that you've gotten so much done and it's all of spiritual priority before you even really start your day. And so a lot of times, I get up at 6 o'clock every morning. A lot of times by 9 o'clock, I've already gotten a lot done by taking advantage of those early morning hours. Granted, I don't have kids, but if you do have kids, that's just even more reason to start early and use those morning hours. We'll hurry along here and finish up. Um, Like I said before, if you're not a reader, reading is like any other activity. It takes practice. Practice builds confidence, and confidence increases comfortability, whatever it is. And so you will find yourself, I truly believe, if you are not a reader, with more confidence, becoming more comfortable, and enjoying that activity. You do things that you are more comfortable with. I did not always like to read, but I have grown into that by practice and grinding through the uncomfortables to the point that it became comfortable. I tell people all the time, if you're not familiar with your New Testament books or your Bible books, then turn the pages. Whenever the preacher or the teacher at church calls out a book, just practice with your physical Bible, turning the pages, not with your phone, with your physical Bible. So what I've personally done is I'm learning uh, Greek. And so I've started taking my Greek New Testament to church, and I can't read Greek. I know a few vocabulary words. And if I stare at the page long enough, I can read out loud a sentence in Greek, but I don't know half of it. And for me to right now start turning in my Greek New Testament whenever a New Testament book is called out at church, um, it's very frustrating for me. Like it's super frustrating. But like anything, immersion is the key. And so, That's what I'm doing. I'm taking my own medicine here and just turning in my New Testament every time at church. And uh, I don't enjoy it. You may not enjoy reading. This is the other side of it. Take my advice on this. Immerse yourself until you become confident and comfortable with it, and you will get better at it, I do believe, and you will not be saying that you hate reading 15 years from now. A couple other things is... Um, There is evidence that reading faster does increase comprehension. If you just type in speed reading, the benefits of speed reading in Google or whatever, you will find out that reading quicker does help with comprehension because one of the things that it does, it allows your mind less opportunity for distraction because the faster you're reading, the more that you have to pay attention to the words being read so you hear them correctly and that allows your time less time to wonder. So for example, just as practice, get on your phone right now, go to an audiobook or go to Spotify and decrease the speed by half so that you're reading at 0.5 speed and see how much your mind wanders listening to that. Then increase the speed of that to 1.5 to 2 times speed and see how much more intensely you are listening to the words. Go to your audio Bible uh, that that's actually a better place to go to. And so I will often listen to my Bible while I read it, and I will turn it up to at least 1.5 speed, if not times two speed. And that forces me to stay very attentive with what I'm reading. I would say 1.5 is a pretty good place to be. Times two is sometimes too fast. It totally just depends on the reader and what you're reading. But anyways, that's a, a good thing to take into account. Another tip. And last tip I'll leave you with is think of building a habit, whatever you're trying to do, whether it's reading reading. Whether it's this whole deleting social media apps from your phone, I'm a person that doesn't look at my phone before I wake up. That's that's who I want to be. Think about building a habit and building a an identity. So uh, I'm I'm somebody that exercises. That's what I want to be. I tell myself I want to build that identity. I want to build that habit. Think of it that way instead of I want to reach this goal, because as James Clear says in his New York Times bestselling book Atomic Habits, which actually Trevor Calvert We'll be a guest speaker on here soon, and we'll be talking about that book and some of the things we've learned. He says in there, think about becoming an identity um, like we just talked about because when you reach a goal, you have reached the goal, and then you're done with it. There's no continuity to it, and that's when a lot of people, they stop their diets or whatever. But when you build a habit, you are building an identity. You are building a character of who you are. And so there is no end to that. You want to be somebody that likes reading, so you start reading every day so that you become that and you can tell people, I'm a person that reads. You don't even have to say I'm a person that likes to read. I'm a person that reads. I'm a person that goes on walks after dinner. I'm a person that reads my Bible every morning. Uh, you're saying this to yourself. I'm not telling you to go boast about all this stuff. I'm just saying you you become this person by thinking of it as a new identity and that small tweak of your mind, how you think about things will truly help you. I don't say anything in this episode. I was just talking about boasting. I'm not saying any of this to boast about what I do. Sincerely, I'm just trying to put forth content for you guys that you can take, you can see it in action and start applying it in your own life because I truly want to these things to help benefit you and anybody who's listening. That's all I got for you today. That's 10 exercises for the Christian mind. We'll run through them one more time. Those are read the Bible, meditate on Scripture. Number three, study the Bible, memorize Scripture, journal about what you've been reading and thinking about. Number six, conversate with other Christians about spiritual things. Number seven, listen to teaching, consume teaching. Number eight, fast. Number nine, pray. And number 10, sing. And if you will do those... I promise that you will not even have time to starve the flesh. (laughs) So it's going to be a win-win. We'll finish up here with a quick foot-and-mouth syndrome. When I first moved to Chapel Grove here, the Chapel Grove Church of Christ, I gave a sermon, I think it was the first Sunday I spoke here, I gave a sermon on the virtuous mother, I think is what I called it. And in that, I talked about my appreciation from others by talking about my first C-section experience, my only C-section experience. I'm not a father, uh, don't worry, but I did in nursing school go to a clinical where I had to witness a C-section in clinical, nursing clinical. And uh, anyways, I was describing just the graphic nature of this procedure and how much appreciation it gave me for women. What I forgot... (laughs) Actually, by the way, I described them cutting open the belly and trying to push out the contents of the placenta and all that as as if they were taking a can of cream corn and squeezing out the contents uh that's the best thing i could compare it to i I still think it's a pretty good illustration just a little bit graphic i forgot that carly davis in the congregation there was sitting there i i met eyes with her as i'm telling this story and she was crying she was actively crying because the next week i think she was scheduled for a c-section she never had one so i was freaking her out and then i realized the mistake i had made but it was too late i had already gone into the detail it was over and i was like oh no (laughs) anyway that's your foot and mouth syndrome for today this actually turned into a lot longer episode than what i thought so pardon me for the length i hope you enjoyed it i hope you got something from it as always. If you have any questions, submit them to the 5-Minute Bible Study Facebook page. I do have Facebook and Instagram still, and the accounts are still active. I just don't have the apps on my phone, so I check them on my desktop. You can still reach me on those social media outlets. Until next time on the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast.